0: Good morning, afternoon, morning, wherever or whenever you are, ladies and gentlemen. This is Sports Crutch with D Crab. I'm your host, David Cromwell, and I'm joined this week by my main man, Matt Barr, the co-host of the 4th and Gold Podcast. Well, and then there were four, as the saying goes. It is officially Conference Championship Weekend, and the NFL's 100th season now comes down to three games and four teams. The Titans, Chiefs, Packers, and Matt San Francisco 49ers. How you feeling right now, Matt?
1: I'm feeling very confident. I, I, I like this matchup the 49ers have, and I'm really super excited for for championship weekend. You know, you know, divisional weekend is the best weekend of football the entire year for the NFL. Uh, now I think we're moving into the second best, and we're we're going to see I think two really competitive games.
0: I completely agree as well, and it's hard to believe that uh, four years ago, at this very time, my Denver Broncos were set to play the New England Patriots in the AFC Championship game, and I thought they were going to get their butts kicked. And I'm glad they proved me wrong. So I'm (laughs) glad you're feeling confident, Matt, as you have every right to, because the Niners have shown that they can uh, hang with anybody this year, and we will preview that game later on in the program. But first, let's start with our takeaways from divisional round, and uh, I will go first here. Bill O'Brien is squandering. The Texans' championship potential with Deshaun Watson, and he must be fired now. That was one of the most inexplicable coaching jobs I have ever seen uh, in a playoff game in recent years. Uh, the Texans uh, jumped out to a 24-0 lead, mostly due to the Chiefs' uh, self-inflicted wounds and incompetence, not because of what they did right. And Bill O'Brien, he said before the game that first to 1-50 wins, we have to keep our foot on the gas. Well, you're up 21 nothing. You are inside the red zone, you got a fourth and one, and you decided to kick a field goal because you can't figure out what play to call? Are you kidding me? I understand coaching in the NFL is tough, but to not have a play ready to go for that situation with the Sean Watson quarterback is beyond inexcusable. It is absolutely deplorable, or whatever word you could come up for that situation. It is just pitiful. Oh my God, and even worse. To be aggressive on your next drive by going for a risky fake putt, even though you risk giving the best quarterback in the game a super short field, you got it backwards, Bill O'Brien. Your suboptimal decision-making continues to hold this team back, and even worse, you have squandered years of draft assets that will prevent this team from improving the way they need to in order to reach the Super Bowl. Bill O'Brien, you you shouldn't be the de facto GM and you shouldn't even be the head coach right now. The Texans, the sooner you fire this guy, the more likely you will realize your potential with the Sean Watson. But as long as Bill O'Brien is in charge, I don't see the Texans um, going to the Bowl.
1: I absolutely agree. Bill O'Brien has to go. OB has done this time and again in the playoffs that the Houston Texans can't win. You're consistently in the playoffs. You know, they barely survived Buffalo. He got completely outcoached by McDermott. In that wild card game. I mean, wild card game was wild. Deshaun Deshaun Watson put the team on his back and said, I'm going to win this game by myself. I don't need you, Bill O'Brien. I'm going to win this game. Buffalo just didn't have the talent offensively to to prevent that. But when it came to the Chiefs game, look, not going for it on fourth and one, trying to run a fake punt in your own territory against Andy Reid, a guy who loves fake punts. I don't understand it, and, and they absolutely have to move on from him at this point. Look, I think I think the divisional round is their peak for the Texans. That's their peak with Bill O'Brien. That's not your goal as a team. Your goal as a franchise is not to get to the divisional round. It's to win a Super Bowl, and they are not going to be able to do it with Bill O'Brien. they got to move on. they got to go find someone else that can come in and get more out of this talent they have on this team.
0: Yeah, what was your big takeaway from divisional round weekend, Matt?
1: My main takeaway is actually my favorite stat, and it gets better every year that it keeps going because MVPs don't win Super Bowls. They sure don't. Lamar, Lamar Jackson is more than likely going to be the, the the MVP of the NFL this year unless they do some wonky voting and they go back and they give it to Derrick Henry because of this crazy run he's been on in the playoffs. But as it stands right now, MVP is a regular season award. Lamar Jackson is most likely going to win this award. With that, the last – MVP to win a Super Bowl was Kurt Warner that was in 1999 that was 20 years ago it has been two decades one-fifth of the lifespan of the NFL since the last MVP won a Super Bowl Lamar Jackson makes everything look really good in the regular season all of a sudden postseason comes around you're playing teams have plenty of tape on you they know how to beat you it just doesn't work the same way it did in the regular season
0: That is a very good point, and football is the ultimate team sport, and that uh, data point is only further evidence to back that up. And now it's time for our favorite game, truth or exaggeration, and you obviously know how this one works. And speaking of Lamar Jackson, the Ravens blew their best chance to win a Super Bowl with Lamar Jackson. Truth or exaggeration? I'm
1: going to say it's exaggeration. I'm going to say it's exaggeration, and the reason I say it's exaggeration is because Greg Roman is still the offensive coordinator. All these teams that needed a head coach went out and they got impatient. They went out and they hired the Patriots' wide receivers coach,
0: special for teams reasons. wide receivers coach. Yeah. There you go.
1: They they hired him for reasons. Uh, Stefanski gets a gets a gig in Cleveland after putting together a really poor showing in San Francisco. I think teams got really impatient this year, and I think the best coaching staffs are sticking together. They are sticking together, and I think that's going to end up killing some of these teams, but with Greg Roman, I think he can develop Lamar Jackson. What Lamar Jackson needs to do is he needs to learn to throw outside the numbers down the middle. He's incredible running the ball. He's incredible. If he can put together a way to throw outside the numbers, he'll be even better. I know the Ravens have some free agents coming up, but they still draft. Well, they still have Ozzie Newsom as their GM. Uh, they actually, can still
0: Ozzie Newsom retired uh, last year. Eric DaCosta oh, excuse- is their GM, but Eric DaCosta is, uh, is hardly a slouch. He is a bright guy.
1: Correct. Excuse me. Excuse me. Yeah, you're right. Um, but, but, you know, from the Ozzie Newsome tree. So here we go. He, he has that same kind of mindset. The Ravens, the Ravens are going to be back. They're going to be back. You can say it was the best opportunity this year. I don't think so. I think Lamar Jackson is going to continue to excel. Now, I think he's got about three years before his body gives out, like Cam Newton's did. So I think that window is going to close rather quickly, but I don't think this was their best. Best chance. I think getting matched up with the Titans in the divisional round was actually a really tough matchup, and that proved to be the to be the case.
0: Ooh, that's an interesting take there. And today, it was reported by Adam Schefter that uh, Drew Rosenhaus, uh, NFL super agent, uh, said that he has terminated his relationship with uh, Antonio Brown at this moment until Antonio Brown seeks outside help for his uh, mental demons. So. Truth or exaggeration, if Antonio Brown doesn't seek the right help fast, he will never play another down in the National Football League.
1: Absolute truth. I That's the absolute truth. Teams have been avoiding him like the plague, and for good reason. He You know, he goes down to the Saints, and they ask him to not post his stuff on social media, and he's got an Instagram story up 30 seconds later. He doesn't have the help, and I think—I I don't know if it all comes back down to that hit from Vontaze Perfect— in, in the playoffs against the Bengals, what was it, four years ago? Yep. Since then, he's been a little bit more and more and more erratic. I think he needs help. I really hope he gets it. Um, but as, as, as my friend said, if Drew if Drew Rosenhaus is moving on from you, you really have to reevaluate how you're doing things.
0: Yeah, because very few people are more loyal than Drew Rosenhaus is to his clients.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And he will stick by guys, thick, thin, whatever it is, as long as he sees dollar signs in them, he's going to stick with them. So if Drew Rosenhaus is saying, nope, I really think that AB is on the out and out right now.
0: Yep. That speaks value. And we go to the New York Giants right now. You mentioned they're hiring of a former Patriots special teams uh, coach, Joe Judge as their new head coach, but they're currently in the process of uh, filling their offensive coordinator position. So truth or exaggeration, the Giants will stunt Daniel Jones' development if they hire Jason Garrett as offensive coordinator instead of retaining Mike Shula.
1: This is tough. This is tough. I don't hate Jason Garrett as as an offensive coordinator, but I'm going to say truth just because perception is reality. And the perception is that Jason Garrett can't do it. And I think that's going to follow him around. And I think those questions are going to be pestered to Daniel Jones over and over and over and over again. And it's going to be hammered into his head. And he's going to have this idea of who this coach is, is in his head. A- a- Jason Garrett can be a decent offensive coordinator. I-, I don't think he had the skills to be the head coach. I don't think he had to be the-, the the cojones to be the guy calling the shots. Um, but, you know, Wade-, Wade Phillips was another guy like that. Wade Phillips, defensive genius, can't. Just can't can't be a head coach. He doesn't have the mentality to do it. He doesn't have the 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 presence to do it. I just think it's too soon for Jason Garrett right now. I think Jason Garrett should take a year off and and then come back because right now it's just the messy divorce from the Cowboys is still fresh in everyone's mind, and I I think that's just gonna it's just gonna weigh on on Daniel Jones and all these questions that we thrown at him coming from a division rival. So uh, I'm gonna say truth to that one
0: going to be interesting to see how that shakes out. And as of uh, this morning, uh, Benjamin Albright from the Pro Football Network in front of the podcast uh, reported that uh, the meeting between Garrett and the Giants went very well, and uh, it appears to be on an upward trend. And uh, all sides currently point to him getting that uh, gig uh, with the uh, Giants. And from a soon-to-be second-year quarterback to a soon-to-be rookie quarterback, Joe Burrow just authored the greatest single-season performance in the history of college football and he will be the next superstar NFL QB. I'm
1: going to say the truth. Look, Joe Burrow looks like the most NFL-ready quarterback we've seen since Andrew Luck. And if Andrew Luck's body didn't give out on him and he didn't continue to get hurt, we'd be having very different discussions in the NFL right now. That's how good Andrew Luck was. I think Joe Burrow possesses the arm skill, the arm talent, the, the smarts. I, I question him going to Cincinnati. I hope they're able to hold on to A.J. Green to partner with him. I'm not sure A.J. Green wants to do that. I'm not sure he wants to learn with a rookie. I think he wants to go to a competitor at this point uh, to finish out his career because he spent his whole time in Cincinnati. If, if they can get the right weapons around him and they can get even him even a monogram of, of protection, just a little bit, I think Joe Burrow can be that guy. And I think Cincinnati is going to parlay a really, really bad season into their future. I'm a big fan of Joe Burrow, and I think he possesses all all the skills to, to excel at the next level.
0: Oh, I think so as well. And uh, Daniel Jeremiah pointed this out uh, this week that Joe Burrow, he isn't going to flash you with his uh, athletic skills, but his smarts, how he processes at an elite level and his Russell Wilson esque accuracy and his, his poise out of all things, this guy has the face of a franchise quarterback and, And the mind and the heart of a franchise quarterback as well. And I think he has what it takes to succeed in the NFL and cover up a lot of those warts in the Bagels organization. I can only hope that uh, Mike Brown, uh, as soon as Joe Burrow arrives there, gets himself out of football decisions as quickly as possible to set up (laughs) both Joe Burrow and Zach Taylor to succeed.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And another thing about Joe Burrow, completely overlooked at this, Joe Burrow smoking that cigar, right? Sitting on the chair. Everybody's going to oh, that's cool. That's a good look Take for it him. easy
0: on that cigar, boy. <laughs>
1: it looked like he'd never smoked a cigar in his entire life. So I think that's a good thing. He had no idea what he was doing. It looked like he inhaled a little bit. He kind of coughed it up. He didn't know what he was doing. So it's good. He doesn't smoke cigars on a regular basis. So I'm actually, I, that that made me feel even more confident in the kid. That he doesn't know how to smoke a cigar. So, so, so Joe Burrow, I think he is going to be the next Andrew Luck. Hopefully his body stays together better.
0: Amen, 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 and we go to the team here, 49ers just vanquished, the Minnesota Vikings, and with a looming salary cap crunch, uh, they are only projected to have $7 million in cap space uh, headed into 2020, and it likely means they're going to have to say goodbye to a lot of key stalwarts in uh, Everson Griffin, who obviously has reached a clause in his contract that will make him eligible for free agency, um, Xavier Rhodes, perhaps Harrison Smith, so with that looming cap crunch, the Minnesota Vikings Super Bowl window might have already closed with Saturday's loss to the Niners.
1: I think the Minnesota Vikings Super Bowl window closed when they signed Kirk Cousins to a guaranteed contract. I think it absolutely closed right then and there. Uh, Mike Zimmer's defense, fantastic. They they do a really good job. Kirk Cousins, he's won exactly one big game in his career, and it came against the Saints. I'm not sure what anybody thought that that was going to change just based on that one game against the Saints. And it was the point, well, his numbers are good. His numbers are good. His numbers are good. That's fine. Your your numbers need to be good against good teams. What you also need to do is come out with wins. And when it comes down to crunch time, Kirk Cousins can't make the throws. He wasn't able to make the throws on Saturday against the 49ers. I, I, I never thought they had a Super Bowl window. I, I, I truly, honestly, didn't believe they ever had one. Just because of who they got in the quarterback.
0: I am much higher on Kirk Cousins than you are, but I actually agree. Uh, As good as Kirk Cousins is, he's much better than most people give him credit for, in my opinion. I think he's been a top 10 quarterback in the NFL for the past uh, four or five years or so. But at the same time, uh, a guy like him, he's not a guy who you... Build a team around. He's a guy who put in the right situation. I think the Vikings at the time were the right situation for him. But now with their uh, cap crunch and likely to have to say goodbye to a lot of the, their stalwarts that made this team super competitive these past uh, six plus seasons, um, I think uh, time could be up for Kirk Cousins in his quest. Uh, to win a Super Bowl. And now we go to the Cleveland Browns, where it was reported today that there was an arrest warrant uh, put forth by New Orleans police uh, for Odell Beckham Jr. for uh, slapping a Superdome security guard uh, in the behind uh, after uh, his alma mater, LSU, took home the national championship against Clemson on Monday night. So truth or exaggeration, regardless of what he thinks of the new coaching staff under Kevin Stefanski, the Browns must do all they can to trade Odell Beckham Jr. because of his off the field uh, stupidity.
1: I, I'm gonna say exaggeration on that one. Look, I watched the video. I, I did saw too. the video. I saw the video. Look, it was very not smart of Odell Beckham to do that. And, but I also think it's so petty, so petty of the police department to issue a, an arrest warrant three days later. I agree. I. I, I, I I, I can't understand what's going on here. There must be something else that we are not hearing about, that he did something else. Because if that's what they're trying to get an arrest warrant for him for, it's absolutely petty. They have nothing better to do. They are super bored New Orleans. Just go down to, oh, man. Just, I don't know. It, it, it's really, really, really bothering me that the arrest warrant has been put out. Um, I don't think you have to trade him for his off-the-field stuff. I think Stefanski has to take a really strong look at his offense and see does Odell Beckham fit in. And if you're a smart offensive coordinator, the answer is yes. If you're smart, the answer is yes. Odell Beckham does fit in. He played with a sports hernia all year. Hopefully he can have surgery in the offseason, fix that, come back fully healthy. Because when Odell Beckham is fully healthy, he's an incredible wide receiver. He needs to be force-fed the ball. He wasn't done that on a Freddie Kitchens offense for whatever reason. The, The Browns should not try and trade him solely because of this one silly, silly incident. And by the way, I think him handing out money on the field to the players that just won a national championship, when we're talking about Petty, the NCAA is quick to just slap sanctions on guys and to possibly handcuff LSU for handing out $100 bills on the the field and maybe strip them of their title because they got money illicitly. I think that's dumber than what he did in the locker room with with the police officer. But... No, you can't get rid of you. You can't just try and blatantly trade Odell Beckham, especially considering what they gave up to get him.
0: I completely agree. I watched the video myself, and even though that behavior was inappropriate, it did not look like an arrestable offense to me uh, whatsoever. So I, I agree with you there. But it's just his continuous pattern of uh, off the field uh, stupidity, There, dare I say, uh, could be bothersome uh, to some of that building. But uh, given the fact that uh, he might that his play might be more valuable than his antics. Uh, the Browns might have no choice to keep him. And heck, there are a lot of teams at the NFL who might not be willing to take on the off the field headache. That is a, uh Odell Beckham Jr. And now let's talk about the latest developments in the coaching carousel. The Cleveland Browns made the final head coaching hire of the of this cycle by hiring former Vikings offensive coordinator Kevin Stefanski to be their new head coach. He was the runner-up last year, but for some reason, they decided to go with Freddie Kitchens. What are your thoughts on uh, the Kevin Stefanski hire, and how much of an upgrade is he from Freddie Kitchens?
1: I'll start with he's an upgrade. I'll start with that. He's an upgrade over Freddie Kitchens. Freddie Kitchens was in way over his head. I think Stefanski has it together a little bit more. Now, did they make the right decision? No, they hired the wrong coordinator that was on the field on Saturday. They should have hired defensive coordinator Robert Sala because Robert Sala is a young, fiery head coach that can come in and and get the most out of those guys. He's a player's coach, and I think that's what they really need right now. They need a player's coach as a leader, not just a player's coach. Freddie Kitchens, player's coach, right? Not not some Tom Coughlin guy, not not a dictatorian. But way too soft. I, I think they needed a rock-solid players coach. I think Robert Sala was the right hire for them. Sala would have taken the job in Cleveland if they offered to him. They did interview him for it. And he went with Stefanski. And, and there was a report that came I believe it's Justina Anderson, that said that if Minnesota's offense hangs 30 on the, on the, on the 49ers, be on the lookout. They're going to hire Stefanski right away. Well, they hung 10 points on the 49ers. One came on one 41, 41 of those yards came on one play yeah. and they got a field goal off an interception. Other than that, the offense couldn't do anything. Luckily for the Browns, they don't play the 49ers for another four years, but I think they hired the wrong coordinator. I think Robert solid would have been the right hire. But again, like I said, these teams got impatient and they wanted to get their guy and they wanted to get their guy right away.
0: Yeah, that, that is a very, very good point. And, uh, move that did not make as much national waves as the Browns, sorry, Stefanski, but one that deserves our attention here, occurred in Denver, where uh, Vic Fangio, after a further evaluation, he decided to part ways with offensive coordinator Rich Skagarello and in his stead, he hired former Giants head coach Pat Sherber to be the offensive coordinator in Denver. And Rich Skagarello is a guy you're familiar with because of his years under Shani in San Francisco, mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, I was kind of a torn at first, but I've, it's kind of grown on me by saying, nah, it might not be so bad after all. And, uh, let me give you some context here. Uh, Rich Scangarello was John Elway sire, not Vic Faggio sire. And, uh, Vic Faggio signed off on it initially, but Faggio never really wanted, uh, Scangarello t- uh, to begin with. And, uh, and what I think John Elway has done in recent years, that's been smart to his credit, is that he's uh, given his coaches more leeway in the staff that uh, they want to hire. And I completely agree with that. John Elway has too much of this, a Jerry Jones, Al Davis quality to him that he wants to control the game for the press box, which it's it's impossible to do. You have to let your coach hire his guys. And Fangio was allowed to hire his guy. And I think that makes perfect sense. Plus Shermer's uh, experience would probably give him an edge for an OC job over Skagarello six days a week and probably twice on Sunday. But, for continuity's sake, I get the argument that it might have been a mistake to part ways with Skagarello. So, in your opinion, was it the right move or wrong move to part ways with Rich Scagarello and bring in Pat Shermer?
1: I think it was the right move. Look, I, I, Pat Shermer's another one of those guys I don't think he's cut out to be a head coach. I think he's very well suited for offensive coordinator. I think his offense is, is a lot more simple than Kyle Shanahan's, which is the Skagarello tree. Now, I'm, I say simple. I don't mean... I don't mean in the fact that it's just going to be super easy to figure out. But 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 for Drew Locke moving forward, I think having an offense is, is much easier to understand and break down is going to be best for him. Um, when you look when Fangio was the defensive coordinator of the 49ers, Harbaugh's offense, Greg Roman's offense, was very simple. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't anything crazy. They're going to run the ball a lot. They're going to pass the ball quick. They're not going to try and run all these crazy concepts and a bunch of motion and stuff. I think it was the right move for the Broncos right now. I think Shermer is is a good, steady presence that comes with a lot of experience in the NFL that can help Drew Locke move along. Uh, Rich Gangarello, I, I think he was hired because the 49ers and Broncos have such a close relationship. They sure do. But such a close relationship but, but with the Yorks and Elway and between joint practices and preseason games and and all these trades they've done over the years. They have a very close relationship. I think Elway saw a lot of the success Shanahan was having last year with Nick Mullins, um, even on offense. The 49 defense was not good last year, but their offense could put up some points. I believe they finished in the, the top third of the pack when it comes to to most offensive categories. I think he saw that, wanted to bring a little bit of that flair to Denver, to the Mile High City, and it just it didn't work. And I think Fangio saw that, saw that it was a little too complex, decided to to kind of simple it down, but still make it effective. And I think Shermer can be that guy for Denver. So I think it's a good hire right now. I think it's a good hire right now. I think later on they're gonna move on to something a little bit, you know, a, a little bit deeper. Than, than Pat Shermer. But for right now and Drew Locke and his development and Fangio's staff, I think that was the right move.
0: Very, very good point there. And uh, Broncos fans, I hope you, uh, you're you listening to that and uh, take heart uh, that uh, the Broncos might not be at risk of uh, studying Drew Locke's development at all because Drew Locke and Daniel Jones, for that matter, were going to struggle regardless of which offensive quarter they have uh, in, in 2020. So uh, something to keep in mind, all of you. And now... Let's preview these conference championship games, and we start with the AFC Championship. The Tennessee Titans, one of the more remarkable six seeds we've seen in quite some time. Traveling to Arrowhead to take on Patrick Mahomes at the Kansas City Chiefs. And the biggest headline for me about this game is Chris Jones, arguably the best defensive player on the Kansas City Chiefs, a guy who will likely be getting the franchise tag uh, in March before he signs a long-term deal there. Uh, he doesn't look like he's going to play this week, and going up against Derrick Henry, who is playing at an MVP level right now, uh, that could pose major problems for the Chiefs. So if Chris Jones doesn't play, how much does that increase the likelihood of a Titans upset in your view? I, I, I don't want to say it
1: increases a ton, but it does increase it. Um, now, I know it was on here last week with you, but I was talking about it last week, and I said that the way to beat the Ravens is to shorten the game and keep the ball out of Lamar Jackson's hands. Well, guess what? The Chiefs are the exact same way. If the Titans can run the ball consistently and consistently and get five, six, seven yards, four yards, three, whatever it is, just keep moving the chains and, and, and shorten the game. Just really shorten the game. They're in a lot better position than trying to get in a shootout with the Chiefs. So if Chris Jones doesn't play, now he's not a spectacular run defender. He's a, he's a much better pass rusher than he is run defender. If he's not able to go, if he's not able to go, I think the Chiefs are in a little bit of trouble. Not a lot of trouble, but a little bit of trouble.
0: Oh, that's a very interesting scouting report. And the fact that uh, he uh, is not the best against the run, uh, the Chiefs uh, could be having their best guys to stop it at that department. With uh, Colin Saunders, they're a rookie from uh, Western Illinois. And uh, who else do they have have on that defensive line? I, 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 kind of, I still forget, amazingly. Uh, well, no, Frey Clark is an edge rusher, but uh, I think uh, they probably got better bodies to stop the run um, uh, in this game if Chris Jones doesn't play.
1: That, that may be true, but Chris Jones is still the most talented. He sure and, is. And, and when it comes down to guys that are just straight up best at stopping the run or, pass, or rushing the passer, um, when, you, when you look at stuff like a uh, draw plays, if they think it's going to be a pass, Chris Jones has the pass rush moves to get through the line or- to – to be to present himself as a body, you know, Chris Jones can get past offensive linemen better than than these other guys behind him. He's just more effective as a pass rusher than he is as a run stopper.
0: Oh, most certainly, and I definitely see the Titans uh, having to go to their play action game a little bit more often uh, this game compared to the the uh, wild card round and the divisional round. So uh, Ryan Tannehill taking some shots to to AJ Brown, uh, the Chiefs will definitely be missing Chris Jones in that department.
1: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And now, can the Titans pass the ball? Because we've seen two straight games where where, Ryan Tannehill has thrown for less than 100 yards. Um, They're they're feeding the beast. They're just feeding it to Derrick Henry. I I, I don't know if they can. And I think that's going to be a big question mark for the Titans. Can they come out and actually throw the ball when everyone expects them to just turn around and hand it off the whole game?
0: Well, a little word of caution here. There were only two teams in NFL history that passed for fewer than 100 yards in two playoff games. One of them, the 1972 Miami Dolphins. And both of those teams won the Super Bowl. So just something for you to keep in mind, Matt, and everybody at home. And now let's talk about the Titans' game plan on defense. And regardless of how long they possess the ball on offense, Patrick Mahomes has proven to be super, super, super efficient every time he touches the ball. So... Uh, the Titans, uh, they obviously uh, crowded the line of scrimmage to take away the run for Baltimore and forced Lamar Jackson to throw uh, most of the last weekend and, and at work, but they might have to do the reverse this week. So do you see Mike Vrabel having a belichick escape plan on defense to contain the Chiefs offense, say, like dropping eight or nine guys in coverage and conceding the run?
1: I, I mean, I think that's the best way to go about it, right? Tyree Kill just came out this week and said, you can't guard our pass catchers. You can't do it with between him, Nicole Hardman. That's extreme amounts of speed on the outside. Sammy Watkins, a very—he's an enigma. You don't know what you're going to get out of Sammy Watkins in any week. Is it going to be—he's very boomer bust. But the consistent guy is Travis Kelsey, right? Linebacker, or excuse me, tight end extraordinaire. Yeah. Second best tight end in football next to George Kittle. I, I think he's. I think you have to almost allow them to run the ball. And just try and, and – and just limit Patrick Mahomes. Limit the big plays. Don't let them get big 50-yard scoring plays. And just keep everything in front of you. And it's exactly what you have to do to beat the Chiefs because, again, that will elongate the game. Excuse me. It will shorten the game. It will shorten the game, right? It will elongate their drives. So it's the fewer times they they possess the football. Elongate their drives. It will shorten the game. And with your running game, I think that's what you really have to try and do as Tennessee Titans –
0: yeah, like uh, the only way to stop that passing game, you, you, you can't stop it one on one. You can only contain it, and the best way to contain it is to like drop most of your guys in coverage and, and concede and force the Chiefs to beat you with their weakest leak, which is the running game. And uh, and it requires bold thinking to beat a team like the Chiefs. Said that might have to be the plan Mike Rabel comes up with uh, for that Tennessee Titans defense. And now let's talk about some of the key matchups to watch. One of the key matchups I'm watching uh, is that Titans defensive line, one of the most underrated units in all of football. You got Mm -hmm. Jarrell Casey, who has been snubbed for years. This guy has been a stalwart for eons right now. And he got their amazing rookie, Jeffrey Simmons, who is going to be an all-pro player within the next two to three years. I I just feel it. And Daquan Jones, another criminally underrated player. Those three guys just keep that linebacking course super, super clean, and go it up against that Chiefs' uh, interior offensive line, which is not a strong point of that offense, uh, if they definitely force the Chiefs to run the ball, that'll be very interesting to watch.
1: And I think you hit it on the nose right there. You said that that front four for Tennessee can get pressure, and they can stop the run, and they can do everything they need to do, to fo- and they can drop seven. That is what made. That's what's made. I know we're gonna get to San Francisco here in a minute. That's what's made San Francisco so successful all years. They can rush four and get all that pressure, and then drop the other seven. And everything else becomes so much easier when you drop seven and you don't have to blitz five, six guys and send extra players. And then then all of a sudden you're get one on one matchups. I, I, that's gonna. That's a huge key. I'm giving the advantage actually. And this one's to Tennessee. I think their front four is going to be able to get just enough pressure. Just enough to keep Patrick Mahomes a little bit out of it, a little bit out of it. Now I say I give it an advantage, but it's still Patrick Mahomes. He's still going to escape the pocket, and he's still going to make some crazy plays.
0: I was kind of thinking they might almost have to mush-rush him because the, when the guy gets out of the pocket, he, he could do whatever he wants, whether it's throw the ball for 60 yards downfield or, or gate yards with his legs. And he was mm-hmm. th- their best runner last Sunday, so Patch Mahomes, he could kill him with his, with his legs too. So Titans, you might have to mush-rush him.
1: Yeah, I, I, I would be very surprised if they didn't at least mush-rush one player a play, right? Mm-hmm. So at least one guy that's kind of just coming in and just kind of floating there and watching Patrick Mahomes and spying him a little bit and then moving with him. I would be very surprised if Tennessee didn't do that.
0: Yep. Ben, what's another key matchup we should be keeping our eyes on this game, Matt?
1: Obviously, it's Derrick Henry against the Chiefs front four, right? It, can they make the stop up front? Can they limit Derrick Henry? So far, the answer has been a resounding no from everybody since, what, about week 14? Is really when he started his his massive his massive run here. Since then, Derrick Henry has just been on fire. And can they stop him? Because the Titans have built their identity around him. I don't blame them. He's 6'4, he's 247 pounds. He runs a 4440 He's a freight train once he gets going. He's very hard to bring down. He still has his college uniform on. He's one of the only guys that runs in the NFL with his midriff exposed. No, him and Ezekiel Elliott are like the only two guys left in football to do it. It's just, it's just so intimidating to see that guy once he gets going downfield. Can Kansas City stop him from taking that really big play down the field?
0: And now we move on to our game picks, and I will go first here. I will say my prediction to what you just said is no, they will not be able to stop it. Uh, The Kansas City Chiefs have been playing excellent defense uh, since their early season struggles, and I think they keep it up for the most part uh, yet again. But I think the Titans defense plays just as well, and uh, it's a close game throughout. But at the end of the day, I just don't want to bet against the Tennessee Titans right now because they are playing just like a team of destiny to be with Derek Henry running the ball away is the way that defense is playing and how they have just... zig zig, where the rest of the league has zagged, like the rest of the league go to all these uh, voluminous passing attacks at these smaller defensive lines. Titans just got bigger and nastier in the trenches with a a nearly old school style uh, that uh, fervently reflects the personality of head coach Mike Vrabel. I just can't bet against the Titans. I like the Titans in this game 23-20. Want to know how they do it? Stay tuned for more predictions.
1: I'm going to do the opposite with you. I'm going with the Chiefs. I'm going with the Chiefs. I think it's going to be a close game, but here's where it comes down to me. I'm taking Andy Reid over Mike Vrabel. Now, I know Andy Reid has a penchant for folding in the playoffs, but Andy Reid has been in the playoffs a lot in his career. He sure
0: has, but he's also 1-8 against the Titans in his career.
1: (laughs) That is fair. That is very fair. That is very fair. But I'm still still taking the Chiefs in this one. I think Patrick Mahomes is just too good. I think he's going to be able to make too many plays. Um, The Titans defense is very good. Chiefs defense is not very good, but the, the problem is the Titans eventually are going to get in the third and long. Something's going to happen happen to force them in the third and long, and that's where I think a player that has been a little unheralded in the Chiefs and that's Tyron Matthew. I think he comes up with a big play this game. I think he makes a game changing play, an interception whether he takes it to the house or whether he just completely flips field position. I think Tyron Matthew makes a big play of the Honey Badger and that's the difference in the game cuz eventually I like I said at some point the Titans have to try and throw the ball and I don't trust Tannehill to do it. I don't. He has he hasn't thrown for 100 yards in either one of his first two playoff starts. I just think that the the, the Chiefs with their playoff experience and how close they got last year they were deford offsides away from the Super Bowl. I got the Chiefs in this one. And I'm taking I'm taking them oh, I'm taking them whew, 24-20 Chiefs.
0: And now we move on to the NFC Championship game. Your San Francisco 49ers host the Green Bay Packers and the last time these two teams met wasn't even close. The Niners controlled that game from start to finish, but the Packers are doing all they can to ensure a repeat will not happen. And one of the things that uh, Matt LaFleur uh, is doing is he's consulting Sean McVay on how to attack the Niners D. Matt, uh, Sean McVay, Matt LaFleur's uh, former mentor. Uh, he worked under him in L.A. Uh, in his first year on the job down there. And the Rams had some success attacking this Niners defense in Week 16 with a lot of boots and rollouts, which are staples of the McVay, McVay-LaFleur system. And how are the Niners better equipped to handle such concepts this time around, though?
1: Because they saw that in Week 16 and 17. Russell Wilson tried to do a lot of the same thing in week 17. It wasn't very successful. The Niners are also getting back two very key players that didn't play in the first matchup. They're getting back D Ford they're getting back Quan Alexander, both of which provide a ton of speed to this defense, especially D Ford on the, on the defensive line. A ton of speed that they can just collapse a pocket very quickly, where if you try and do a play action rollout, D Ford can already be four yards upfield. And then all of a sudden you have to step up into the pocket and you can't just take a wide berth all the way out to one side. Uh, they, they, the 49ers have seen it. They've seen it. And I know Sean McVay is is this wonder and he's looked at as this offensive guru and genius, but also the first game against 49ers Jared Goff threw for 84 yards and they only they only managed seven points and those seven points, zero of those yards, on that touchdown drive, came out of the air. They ran the ball 10 times down the field to score a touchdown. I I, I don't want to sound like a homer. I don't. I just I I just don't think that there's going to be enough for the Packers. We'll get into the score prediction later. But I, I think that the 49ers have seen the rollout, and they've seen it. And they've seen it. And, and, and Robert Sala is a master of – halftime adjustments and adjustments that he's seen before and just I think he's going to be one step ahead of LaFleur
0: and uh, keep in mind uh, Matt LaFleur and Robert Sala were uh, college buddies at uh, Central Michigan and Mm -hmm. also Matt LaFleur's uh, brother Mike is the 49ers passing game coordinator so it's a family affair going on in the NFC Championship game but uh
1: Absolutely, really quick, by the way, Joe Staley was on that Central Michigan team.
0: Ooh, that too. God, football is family indeed. There's uh, mm-hmm. no cliche to that term. And when you look at uh, the Packers and the chances they have, and another reason why I think the Niners are better equipped, not only to handle the Boots and rolls, but the Packers off escape. I was shocked at how often the Seahawks left their corners on an island against Devontae Adams for crying out loud last week. I mean what the hell were they thinking? Well, well the Seahawks
1: have to do that to get pressure. That's what they have to do. They have to blitz and they have they have to leave their guys 1 on 1 on the outside to try and get pressure and try and eliminate certain yeah. certain tactics of of the other team's offense. The 49ers don't have to do that. Like the Titans, they can rush for or drop 7. Yes. Right? So all game the 49ers can sit there and they can bracket Devonte Adams with either Richard Sherman or Emmanuel Mosley, depending on who's which side he's on cuz those corners don't travel. So Richard Sherman's going to stay on the left side of the field. He's going to stay on the left side of the field. Everyone says that he's going to follow Devontae Adams. He's not. He's He's the left corner. He stays on the left side of the field. Emmanuel Mosley is taking over for a Keller Weatherspoon who had a rough couple weeks. He was replaced in week 17 towards the end of the game. He was replaced after the Stefan Diggs touchdown against the Vikings. He's starting on the right cornerback. He's going to stay on the right. So now whether that means you're bracketing with Choukowsky Tart or Jimmy Ward, I expect the 49ers to have – Devonte Adams bracketed the whole game, bracketed, bracketed, bracketed. I'm going to say it all night,
0: bracketed. Yes, and with uh, Devontae Adams uh, likely the only dangerous target in the Packers passing game, no offense to Jimmy Graham, but he's uh, kind of old, and uh, the rest are either rookies or uh, UDFAs um, on that, in that Packers uh, receiving core. But still, don't you think Garrett Rodgers has to be, like, Superman for the Packers to win this game? Or do you see them doing all they can to get Aaron Jones to that ground game going early and often this time?
1: Well, that's actually my key matchup of the game. So I'm glad you led right into that. And my matchup of the game is, can the 49ers stop Aaron Jones? Because the 49ers in the first matchup stopped him very well. Now, now Quan Alexander, he he played limited snaps uh, against the Vikings. And what he did was... He came in on more of the base downs for a second down, and then they brought him off the field, and they left Dre Green and Fred Warner out there. Quan Alexander, his speed and his intensity, it it works very well in the run game. They're trying to ease him back from his pec injury. Can he limit what they do in the run game? I think this is where Earl Mitchell, a random name you probably haven't heard all year, Earl Mitchell, cut by the 49ers in the offseason, has been brought back in to be the nose tackle. Uh, The first matchup in Week 12, the Packers really struggled against DJ Jones, who was the 49ers nose tackle at the time. He's since gone on IR. Earl Mitchell can be that guy. They have to contain Aaron Jones. Aaron Jones versus the 49ers front seven is a huge matchup. It's a huge matchup. In order for the Packers to have a chance this game, they have to stay ahead of the sticks. They have to stay ahead of the sticks because if they get in the third and long and they let those pass rushers just pin their ears back, they are in big, big trouble.
0: Oh, they definitely are. But another way I can see them using era Jones is uh, those uh, getting some quick passes to him in the short passing game, which is an extension of the running game. So should, we should expect that as well, shouldn't we?
1: Absolutely. But again, that's where I think the Dre Greenlaw, Fred Warner, Quan Alexander, talking about Absolutely. three of the fastest linebackers Absolutely. in the league. They're all three quality coverage linebackers. And we saw the Vikings try to do that last week. They tried to get Dalvin Cook involved in the passing game. It didn't work. Dalvin Cook had, I can't remember how many touches for how many yards. I know he had nine rushes for 18 yards. He had, I think, he had six catches for a total of like nine yards. I mean, the the 49ers just bottled that game up because they're expecting them to try and use that as an extension of the running game and are not going to let it happen.
0: They most certainly are. And I didn't mean any uh, disrespect to them. I was just uh, thinking of other ways the Packers could do that. But it's much easier said than done against this insanely talented San Francisco 49ers defense. And when you talk about the Niners offensively, their offensive line did a fantastic job handling the Minnesota Vikings front last week, especially in the run game. But how much more difficult of a challenge would the Packers front be for them? Because I think I see a certain upgrade on the Packers defensive line compared to the Vikings defensive line that could give the Niners running game a little bit of fits this week.
1: Yeah, so I'm sure you're talking about the brother Smith.
0: Uh, The brother Smith, but even more so, don't forget my man Kenny Clark inside.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. And the 49ers do need to get the run game going. Last week it was Tevin Coleman, right? And we haven't seen Tevin Coleman have a game like that since he had against Carolina. And that's the beauty of Kyle Shanahan's offense. It's a three-headed monster. Is is it going to be Tevin Coleman? Is it going to be Raheem Mostert? Is it going to be Matt Brady? It's been a lot more Raheem Mostert recently than anything else. They have to get it going, but they excel at the outside zone run where they get to avoid Kenny Clark. They excel at getting to the outside, letting George Kittle set the edge. George Kittle came out this week. Kyle Shanahan had a great quote about him. George Kittle has not once in three years asked to be thrown a pass. But... About seven times a game, he comes up to, to to Kyle and asks, hey, when are we running the ball next?
0: Because
1: George Kittle wants to yeah. block someone into the dirt.
0: George sure Kittle knows. cares
1: more about blocking than he does catching passes, and I think that's what makes him the number one tight end in the league. And I think that's what makes him the 49ers MVP this year. They, they get the outside game going, and I think the offensive line has been playing at an extremely high level. Since Joe Staley and Mike McGlinchey both came back and started to get healthy, and they're playing extremely high level. If they can seal the edge and let these speed backs and Mostert, Coleman, Breda get to the outside, that's where they're going to find their success.
0: Yes, but in the passing game, uh, Kenny Clark is going to be difficult for uh, my man Ben Garland to handle. And I was very impressed with how my man Ben Garland played last week. Uh, he's a guy I just. Uh, it's impossible not to root for him I loved him when he was with the Broncos he's a great uh, leader of the community and a true American patriot he serves in the Air Force uh, during the off season, and he has done a very admirable job uh, filling one of the most important positions in the Kyle Shanahan offense the center position uh, filling West Richburg's shoes since uh, West Richburg uh, went out for the rest of the season but uh, I think Kenny Clark is going to be a bit more difficult of a matchup uh, for him uh, than Lindell Joseph was because uh, Kenny Clark is a much better pass rusher uh, than Lindell Joseph and uh, where Ben still struggles it's in the passing game and pass protection.
1: It is, but he's also flanked by Mike Person and Lakin and Tomlinson. The three of them work very well together. Yes. But the Vikings did a lot last week because they tried to they tried to flip things around, right? They they, they bumped Daniel Hunter and Everson Griffin in on the inside on multiple pass rushes. It because they were just safe. trying to attack the weak part, quote-unquote, of the 49ers offensive yep. line. And there's a couple, there's a couple of videos, gifts, whatever you want to call them, of these pass rushes. And to watch these three guys work in unison, Person, Tomlinson, and Garland, it's very, very beautiful to see. I mean, there's one clip where Joe Staley just stands there. Kittle handles the end. McGlinchey handles the other end on the other side. And then Everson Griffin and, and Daniil Hunter can't do anything against the three on the interior. And Staley's just like, oh, I guess I had nothing to do. I'm going to kind of hang out. <laughs> and that's an incredible thing you can do if you have if you're blocking so well that your 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 stalwart left tackle can just stand there and be like, yeah, this is cool. This is fun, guys."
0: Oh god, I'm definitely going to have to watch more of those uh in the next few days as I prepare to watch this uh, NFC Championship game, but uh you're right. They, for the most part, they did a fantastic job keeping Jimmy G clean. Outside of the, uh, just a couple of plays, uh, Jimmy was able to make the throws he needed to make last week to keep those uh, those shades moving. And uh, now let's go to our gay picks. Uh, you go first this time. I think I kind of know where you're leaning towards.
1: I did. And like I told you, I wrapped up recording the fourth and gold podcast right before we got on here. Um, so I'm not going to change a thing from that. I got 31, four, excuse me, thirty-one seventeen. Thirty-one seventeen. 17. I got the 49ers winning this one. Um, I, I just think where the, the 49ers strengths are, they match up very well with the Packers weaknesses and where the Packers strengths are. Line up pretty well with the 49ers strengths. So it, it's just I, I think the 49ers have the overall advantage. They're at home. I think they've been able to block out all this noise. They've taken on the personality, their leaders, Sherman, Staley, Emmanuel Sanders. They're ready to rock and roll. I think they take this one.
0: I think the 49ers end up winning this game too, but I think it's going to be a lot harder than many think it is. Uh, you just can. It's very hard to bet against uh, Aaron Rodgers. I expect Aaron Rodgers to give it his all because uh, he's 36 years old. His uh, prime has already ended, and uh, he's entering the twilight of his career and he is going to want to win the NFC Championship game in front of the team that he's still angry, passed him over the team he rooted for as a child. He is going to come out uh, motivated, and I expect Aaron Rodgers to give it all he has, but that said, I think the 49ers' defense said that running game made just enough plays to eke out a 23-17 victory over the Packers. And now it's time for our bold predictions. Matt, what is your bold prediction for Conference Championship weekend?
1: Oh, boy, my bold prediction. Man, my bold prediction is that the the forty nine ers defensive line is going to get seven sacks on Aaron Rodgers. I, I think that they are now back fully healthy. the The Packers offensive line they are getting Balaga back, who who went out after the ninth snap in the in the first game. I don't care. I really think this 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 Niners D line is cooking with gas right now. I think they get seven sacks on Aaron Rodgers and just keep piling it on all game long.
0: That's not quite bold, uh, given how historically elite this 49ers pass rush has been, dare I say, and with D. Ford back, that frees up Nick Bosa and DeForest Buckner even more, so you said it there, but my bold prediction is this, the AFC Championship game will go to overtime, tied at 17 apiece after regulation, the Chiefs will get the ball first, yet they're forced to settle for a field goal. But then on the ensuing possession, the Titans win on a 90-yard touchdown run by Derrick Henry to win 23-20 in overtime. So that is my bowl prediction. And now let's go on to our challenge flags, and I will go first here. Uh, My challenge flag goes to both games, the AFC Championship game and the NFC Championship game. Give us more last-minute drama this week. I I don't want you to have a heart (laughs) attack, Matt, but... I was kind of underwhelmed at the quality of uh, most of the games last week because there wasn't any last-minute drama. Well, the, the Chiefs-Texans game was, was fun to watch given how fast the Chiefs scored and came back. But other than that, uh, the first three games uh, last week were pretty much a, a snooze fest. You, you pretty much knew who was going to win the game early on. The, the playoffs thrive when it comes down to the final minute. So give us more last-minute drama, please. Matt, what is your challenge flag?
1: I'm throwing my challenge flag at Andy Reid. Shake that monkey off your back. Win the big game. Out-coach Mike Vrabel. Do your thing. I have faith in you, Andy. Look, at the White House, you're probably looking at a buffet of fast food. Just keep that in your mind this week, Andy, when you're going through your game planning because that's what you want. That's the goal, the fast food buffet.
0: Hamburgers, 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 if you know what I mean, <laughs> hamburgers. He, he, if you want to go to the White House, uh, you can bet President Trump's going to have a lot of hamburgers ready for Andy Reid of and the Chiefs should they win the Super Bowl. And he is Matt Barr, ladies and gentlemen, the co-host of the Fourth and Gold podcast. A must-listen for 49ers fans and NFL fans alike. You can follow him on Twitter at mattbar underscore. Matt, thank you very much once again for joining us. And that's it for today here on SportsCrunch. But next week... I am thrilled to announce that for the third consecutive year, I'll be headed to Mobile, Alabama to cover the 2020 Reese's Senior Bowl. So stay tuned for interviews with prospects and beat reporters all week long as our 2020 NFL draft coverage heats up. But in the meantime, be sure to check out the episode archive as well as my blog at sportscrunch.com. And remember, that is Crunch with a K. And if you enjoy these podcast episodes, please consider leaving us an iTunes review and donating to our Patreon at patreon.com slash sportscrunch so we can improve our iTunes ranking and afford to produce even more shows with awesome guests like Matt. You can also follow me on Instagram and Twitter at dcrom59. For Matt Bar. this is David Cronlow saying so long and, of course, stay awesome.